Talks. We a podcast. We take place here in Alabama. I'm Rachel Morgan. Yeah! I'm the creative director. My name's Cord Craft. I like to wrestle a pig. And this is a Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema Podcast. When I'm not wrestling pigs, I watch movies. Yikes. Um, anyway, we're going to talk about movies now, I think, instead of continuing on that path. Uh, we're from Alabama, but we're not like that. What's this shit? I tried to keep it, you know, a little bit tame. Yeah, that's true. You Just did. You did. You held back. You held back. I mean, every once in a while I have to. i got to give y'all a break sometimes. So I am watching, just dropped into this movie. Okay. okay? I just dropped into it. And on the lower thirds, it says um, evacuation zone. Uh-huh. Do you know what it is? <laughs> I might, but continue. Wow. If you can get it from this detail, I'll love it. Um, there's people everywhere, sort of a military scene, which seems to come up a lot in this, in, in What's This Shit. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like, wait, do, what do I hear cranking up in the background? Is that the white stripes? Is Really, that's that's what's happening. And sure enough, yes, it's the white stripes. A mm. woman introduces herself with this sort of like, hi, boys. You know, but I, I should, I, a little voice said to me I should kill everyone. Just kidding. Oh, wait. Then a bag gets presented. A lot, I'm going to tell, let me just say, a lot happens in like 40 seconds. Yeah. I was kind of like, whoa, I mean, editing has really changed. Um, they open a bag and out of that bag comes a person, comes a man. And he kind of comes out punching. Oh, I am man. shocked you're not guessing this yet. Man, man. Okay. Then an SUV pulls up. And I mean, when I say all of this happens in just a, in like the blink of an eye, it happens in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. An SUV pulls up. I'm not telling you who anybody is because the minute I mention one of these people, you're going to, you're going to know. Um, and out comes a, another man who's a face who's we've t- been what's been coming up a lot for us lately is these face punchers. And he punches somebody in the face um, as soon as he gets out of the car. I mean, they did. They were being kind of provocative and said something kind of snarky. And then he punched them in the face and they fall to the ground. This all sounds really familiar. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I thought you'd have it by now. There is a there is a sort of a sort of a lizard creature that's involved. And then there's a guy with a skull tattooed on his face what the oh this is suicide squad yeah i was about to say then will smith says triangle bitch and oh. then they crank up an eminem song and i'm like did i just have a nightmare or is this a movie okay so suicide squad is a nightmare um <laughs> it's it's a nightmare that i've only bothered to see once in theaters and it pretty much is wall to wall quips and crazy editing and needle drops because the movie was re-edited by a trailer company like a com- wow. the company that edited edited the trailer because fan response was so positive to the initial trailer so they took that company and recut the whole movie which Hold was on. not shaping up well Hold on. to I need a wellness check I'm not feeling good all of a sudden that is that logic that doesn't make any sense because Fans liked something that a trailer company cut. You let them cut the fucking movie. They need to change this title from Suicide Squad to Bag of Shit. Well, this that's is what it terrible. is. Yeah, it's awful. And now it's that an I awful, know awful, that, now awful, awful I, movie. So this isn't just isolated to this scene. You're telling uh-uh. me this whole film operates whole like this. movies like oh that. Oh my god! It it. I mean, it's. I'm almost, getting pissed off. You yes. She, uh, to, for the listener, Rachel just <laughs> threw her pen onto the table to indicate that she's getting pissed off. That's how pissed off she she is. Uh, and it's worth getting pissed off at Suicide Squad, which is an awful fucking movie for those reasons and for so many other reasons. Well, one of which is that Will Smith in it 
I mean, he's pretty good at it. What's this shit? And now, a look at what we're watching this week. So, Rachel, what have you been watching? Uh, a couple of really wonderful things that have something in common, actually. Okay, all right. Um, the first of which is that uh, at the Sidewalk Cinema, I went and sat in a screening of Nomadland. Hell yes. Best movie of 2020. Great film. Yes. I mean, We don't have to fight film. about it. Well, I would never fight. I mean, this is just, this is an amazing film. It's the best. And um, it, within the first 15 minutes, I'm like, somebody, I would would not have complained if somebody had just walked on set with an, with an Oscar in their hand and just handed it to Frances McDormand. <laughs> right, right. She's just so go, amazing. Just handed it to Frances Like, it, I actually wouldn't have cared about the fourth wall. None of it. Just walk on to, walk onto that parking lot and just give her the fucking Oscar because she deserves it. It's great. It's a great film. I appreciate so many things about it. Just to kind of hit a couple of things, you know, really quickly, because just go watch this. You'll, you know, it's, you don't need to hear me talk about this film. I can't do it justice. Um, but one of the things I love is is that this this sort of uh, group of folks who tend to, you know, travel across the country and or you know what's the the, the the sort of definition of homelessness comes up a lot. Sure. A lot of people would consider them to be homeless and nomadic folks um, play themselves in this film. Yes. And that gr- brings this texture to it that is really amazing. And I will say the thing I love, I think, the most about Frances McDermott in this is that she is playing against people who are not, you know, trained, experienced actors. And she just – it feels so natural and, and wonderful and – just amazing to watch. Who knew that she was one of cinema's great listeners? Yeah. Because that's all she's called upon to do in so many scenes and so many conversations in this movie. But she still remains captivating. And the people, you know, the figures she's listening to, of course, are captivating themselves. Um, there's like a scene near the end of the movie, and I don't, I, you know, I don't want to give anything away, where she's having a conversation with uh, this sort of nomad guru who runs this uh, gathering of the nomads yeah. out in the desert every year where they dispense life advice and come together for fellowship. And the conversation that they have is completely heartbreaking, uh, just about on every level. Um, and the work that she does against this non-professional actor in this scene is just – it's some of the best stuff you'll ever see. Um it's amazing. I'm I'm just so relieved that you like this movie. It is amazing. I mean, how does <clears throat> how could I not? And I, and I, I I'll say this too. That I mean, I I know where you're going with this. I'm just going to reroute. Um, but I this is the thing. So quarantine, COVID, the cinema's been open, but we're at a reduced capacity. Uh-huh. We're not having meetings in person anymore. We're on Zoom all the time. I'm I, in my classroom is like we're all ma- I'm masked up teaching. You know, everybody knows this. Yeah. And and the other night I go in the cinema. And, you know, it was a fairly, for us, a packed house for this, considering that we're at 18 seats in a room. Yeah. Um, but they were fairly filled, and I sat and watched this film. I first went and made popcorn and, and helped get it, get popcorn in everybody's hands who was going into the film. And I went in and watched. And when this thing hit the screen, and that sort of, that really deep depth of field, and um, the beautiful cinematography, yeah. and Francis McDermott's face, and the perform I mean, it just, it kind of hit me. I, I've lost sight here in the last year. It's sort of like had this moment where I was like, shit, this, this is why, this is why I do this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is why we do what we do. And it really, I mean, it, it was, it was something, it was something. And, and, and it reminded me that even though I say it all the time, it really was a, a visceral reminder of the importance of the cinematic experience and the importance of film, at least in my life. And in experiencing that with other people who were having seemed to be having a similar kind of reaction with their own whatever that is going on with themselves, mm-hmm. uh, just a, just an amazing moment and a really um, 
privilege to to have that reminder that a lot of people I think who are working remotely and isolated aren't aren't able to have a reminder like that so just a privilege to have it but um and a thank you to this film for bringing that but there's no way I, i again watch it where you can but i do think that when you have an opportunity and you feel safe to do it seeing this in a cinema just it it, do do that it's it's worth it i got a couple more weeks before i'll be returning to the cinema but when i do i hope this is still playing because I really do want to see this on the big screen. Beautiful, and it's just bre- breathtaking in the space with the with the sound and yeah. and all of it. So, um, so that's one of the films. And then I'll quickly because I, I feel like I took a little too much time. On no, that no, one. not but, at all. Um, I for class I'm teaching uh, in one of my classes genre, and I'm teaching film noir. And so as as one like me does, I woke up the other morning at seven a.m. and um, by the time I got my coffee made and everything at seven forty five ish, I had uh, Blood Simple on. Oh man. <laughs> Just Francis McDormand double feature. Which was another lovely reminder of why not just start the day off with a little bit of heavy Coen Brothers film oh, noir because so it, it made my day so much better. And I was so excited to teach this film. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it. And um, yes, Francis McDormand again. And uh, what a, and a, it was really fun to see that on the heels of seeing Nomadland yeah. because she's super young, super, you know, just a very different role, different character, different aesthetic, the whole thing. Um, but still just holding her damn own in this film and a lot of nonverbal acting in it as well so um if you have never seen blood simple stop what you're doing right now quit listening to us talk put down this phone go right now watch blood simple <laughs> and if you haven't seen it in more than a couple of years put this put your rip your headphones out of your ears and watch <laughs> it on the biggest thing you could possibly watch on brilliant beautiful film and the thing i love the most about it is you know, there are $10 special effects in this thing. Yeah. It, it goes to show you can make a movie for very little, but a ton of creativity. It's just a brilliant fucking work of I art. I mean, they probably did what, you know, they did on the set of The Evil Dead, which is they strap a camera to like a, a plank of wood and just get four guys to run with it to simulate, you know, that glide cam effect. <sighs> totally. And what they do with, with sound design in this thing, uh-huh. you know, there, it is it is amazing what you can do with a person in a dark room and a sound pitch from a distance i know just fucking amazing so anyway two, yeah blood simple nomad land i was i've been really two things that got me very excited one i'd seen before clearly but still seeing it again very exciting stuff to to talk about today so oh. what have you been watching well nothing so exciting um this reminds me though your talk about nomad land uh we got to get you on the record about your favorite films of 2020 yeah not yeah. doing it right now. Not obviously not <laughs> obviously not right at this moment. We we got to plan that for a future for show. For sure. Uh before the Academy Awards, which are like in, you know, 8 months, I don't know. Um Who they're does? so long from now for real. Anyway, um speaking of awards, uh the Golden Globes just aired this past Sunday as of this recording. They're in the distant past for you as you're listening to it, but you may uh, have paid attention to that or more likely may not have paid attention to it, judging by the television ratings of that show. Um, and the Golden Globes are a bunch of hucksters who give out stupid awards for publicity anyway. Uh, but it doesn't matter because there were a couple award winners that night that were yeah. pretty surprising. So I wanted to talk about those films. The first uh, is the film The Mauritanian, mm-hmm. which um, I caught a screener link of uh, the other day. Starring uh, Tahar Rahim, who was Golden Globe nominated, and uh, Jodie Foster, who won in kind of an upset the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress. And seemed surprised to be winning. I was just as surprised. (laughs) Um, 
I'll, I'll tell you what, like the, the Mauritanian is a perfectly solid legal drama about uh, a, it's sort of titular character, a man who was uh, arrested by the United States government in the months after 9-11 and held without charges uh, at Guantanamo Bay mm-hmm. uh, for years. Right. Um, and it details the years-long legal process that he had to go through to even uh, have his case heard by an American court. Jodie Foster plays his defense attorney. Um, and Benedict Cumberbatch is in it as the government's prosecuting attorney who starts to realize, and I don't know how much of this is sort of fictionalized for the film, but he starts to realize that the government's case, well, he starts to realize that the government doesn't have a case right. and that the confessions and other evidence that they have gathered have been gathered through uh, violent means, through uh, extraordinary rendition, I think was the uh, the euphemism that we, we all used back then. But now that we, rec- we recognize it as torture, and we tortured right. people um, and held them for years without charges. And it is something to be outraged about, although it's, you know, when we're talking about the United States government, think about all the stuff that they've done in the subsequent decade that there is to be outraged about. Uh, so if you want to feel a good, righteous outrage toward the mm-hmm. United States government mm-hmm. again, uh, I'd recommend The <laughs> Mauritanian. I think it's kind of a sloppily made movie. But like I said, it's a solid solid enough legal thriller, and the performances are really good. Um, would I have given Foster a Best Supporting Actress award? Yeah. I would not have. Yo. But you know what? I, I'm not all that upset about it because it's just nice – when she works, you know, she doesn't work very often. Right. She doesn't make too many movies. I feel a sense of obligation to see everything that she makes too, because she makes things so infrequently. And the problem with that is she has weird taste and she shows up in very weird taste. in such so many strange movies that you're like, this is the first thing you've made in five years. Why did you come out of? Why did you come off of your comfortable looking couch in your pajamas to make this movie? With your with your wife, yeah, it doesn't. I don't understand Jody's decision making. Oftentimes, and that would include the films that she directs and a lot of her directing choices. Well, her directing Ooh. choices are. We'll set those aside for now because should be discussed. She. It's not good. Though. She's not a good director. I I feel bad about saying Terrible. that because I love Jodie Foster, but she's not a good director. You're right about that, and um, and a lot of it is partially the content that yeah. she, she gravitates towards. So. Questionable taste here. I whatever successful, um, you know, successful all the same across the board. But anyway, what else were you watching? Uh, the other thing is the surprise winner of the best actress drama uh, Golden Globe uh, was Andra Day, who plays Billie Holiday in Lee Daniels' mm-hmm. yeah. new music biopic, The United States versus Billie Holiday. Um, it's a really good lead performance in a really bad movie. Well, surprise. Um, I mean, it is kind of a standard issue music biopic, um, and it follows all of the attendant tropes and cliches that you expect to see in movies like that, simplifying you know, the lives of these brilliant but often troubled artists, and Billie Holiday unquestionably was both of those things. Sure. Um, and it simplifies them into some sort, you know, kind of almost offensively reductive bland, broad storytelling tropes that don't really do anybody any favors. Um, Andre Day is really good 
as yeah. Billie Holiday. She obviously, this is her first film performance. She is best known as a singer. Not on my radar before I saw this movie, but she has the pipes to play Billie Holiday. And that's not nothing, you know? Sure. Rami Malek just won an Oscar like a couple years ago for lip syncing fucking Queen. Right. Uh, at the right. very least, if we're going to give people awards to, you know, for playing musicians, they ought to have the decency to carry a tune. And she can certainly do that. Um, Lee Daniels is another director I don't really like, though um, his directorial style can best be called excessive. Yeah, um, yeah. Espe- Fair. In, in, um, in times where that's not warranted, and there is a lot of the, the same excessive filmmaking stuff that really made Precious kind of a hard sit for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in this, I, I think this is a worse movie than Precious, ultimately. Wow. Um, because Precious had the decency to have a couple really good performances. This only has one really Including good performance. one by Mariah Carey. Yeah, she's really good in Precious. Uh, so ultimately, I don't recommend the United States versus Billie Holiday, unfortunately, though I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Andre Day gets an Oscar nomination for this movie in a couple uh, couple weeks. Yeah. Well, kind of the cool thing about the Golden Globes to me this year, I mean, other than Jane Fonda's amazing speech that she's so good, just really get behind and and the the grace that she brought. um, Just just lovely. Uh, But other than that, I appreciated that we were we had the Golden Globes, Sam put on the Golden Globes in our lobby at the cinema. And so we were screening Nomadland and Minari as they won on the Golden Globes. And that's about as cool as it gets. Yeah. And the Lee Isaac Chung, the director of Minari, you know, his, his speech was great with his daughter draped over his neck. And, you know, it was just a sweet moment. And that's, a you know, perfect for a sweet movie like Minari, which is, well, I think we've already talked about it, but it's great. Yeah. That's what we're watching. Retractions. What are I we retracting? Tried to make that as bad as like retraction. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to issue a, a retraction for that. Oh, maybe it's like when Bobby loses his voice. Is it Bobby on the Brady Bunch? When it's like oh. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, this is not as much a retraction as just sort of a little tiny note, which I feel like we're very fluid with retractions. So um, <laughs> we, you know, I don't think this should have been at the top of your list, but I appreciate that our executive director, Chloe Cook, texted you uh, or texted both of us when she heard about your Chicago nod. Wasn't yeah, that the, it? The, the pick a city uh, segment where I drew the city of Chicago. And she said the breakup, the breakup, <laughs> which uh, which is not what first comes to mind, but which she pointed out, Vince Vaughn plays a uh, a tour guide. I think so, yeah, of Chicago, and that's what stuck out to her. So I thought we'd throw another, just throw another mention there of another Chicago film out, and also I'd take this opportunity to say, uh, as I did on the thread, that Vince Vaughn has turned himself into a cylinder of sausage. A tube of sausage is what that man looks like now. And I said on the thread, I don't think that anybody ever once has had a romantic thought about him. So it's ironic that he's in a romantic comedy because there's no way, no way that one person on the entire planet has had one single romantic thought about him ever because he is a tube of sausage. Disagree. Um, (laughs) uh, We're not going to have a five minute fight about Vince Vaughn. I made that very plain in the the text thread too. But you can't tell me that Circa... 2005 when he was still relatively trim and he's like nine feet tall and he tells motor mouth jokes. You can't tell me that that dude wasn't doing very well for himself. I'm with sure ladies. he was, but he shouldn't have been. Blech, vom. Anyway, yeah, but, well, since when has since when has 
you know, the the justice <laughs> of the universe played any role in this. He shouldn't have uh, been, but he did. That's the story of the world. Just because you're tall and tell jokes, you shouldn't you shouldn't be prolific with with anyone. And yet it works. And yet uh, it works because that's the world. But you know what the curse is? You turn into a tube of sausage. And, so yeah, it, but, it's a Faustian bargain, I guess. He made a deal with the devil. Let's just land this on what why we're not having a five minute fight about him and the and the and the punctuation I landed our text thread on. What was it, Corey? It's a picture with him and Donald Trump. Shaking hands. He's a he you know, Vince Vaughn's a weird right wing guy. Anyway, um, the, the breakup is another Chicago film. Just thought we'd mention it and give a shout out to, to Chloe and um, also call Vince Vaughn a sausage. And shout out to Jennifer Aniston, who's the co-star of the breakup. Oh, poor thing. Which, as Chloe pointed out, or was it you, that they actually dated in real life. So, Oh, wah, I certainly didn't know that. So that must sad. have been Chloe. Yeah, thanks for that one, Chloe. Sad. Anyway, retractions. What up? And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, released in 1971, is an adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, a children's book by Roald Dahl. The story was inspired by Dahl's experience as a child when he and his schoolmates were asked by English candy maker Cadbury to taste and rate new products before they went to market. In 1969, Dahl sold the film rights and his script for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to Hollywood producer David Wolper for $500,000. To finance the film, Wolper made a deal with the Quaker Oats Company, who were working on a new candy bar. Quaker put up $3 million and asked for the movie to be renamed Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory to tie in with their product line. Quaker's Wonka bars were released shortly before the film, yet had to be recalled for melting on store shelves. Quaker sold the brand to Nestle, who went on to manufacture Wonka bars until 2018. Inspired by the success of Disney's Mary Poppins, the producers decided to make the story into a musical. While Dahl was agreeable to that, he was furious about the name change. The producers then added fuel to the fire by asking him to make significant changes to his story, such as adding a villain and rewriting the ending. After Dahl missed the deadline to submit his script revisions, Screenwriter David Seltzer was hired as an uncredited script doctor. This infuriated Dahl, who canceled plans for the producers to film his next book, Charlie and the Glass Elevator, and publicly disowned the movie when it was released. Mel Stewart was brought in to direct the fantasy musical, although he was best known at the time as a documentary filmmaker. He felt strongly about using unknown actors for the cast, except the role of Willy Wonka. Quite a few actors auditioned to be the Candyman, including all six members of Monty Python. Stewart, however, knew Gene Wilder was Willy Wonka from the moment he saw him, saying that Wilder had the sardonic, demonic edge we were looking for. Wilder agreed to accept the role under one condition, that he would be allowed to limp, then suddenly somersault in the scene when he first meets the children. When asked why, he replied that having Wonka do this meant that from that time on, no one will know if I'm lying or telling the truth. Only Stewart and Wilder knew about this planned stunt, so the reaction from everyone in the scene is genuine. Wilder pulled a similar surprise in the boat ride scene with an unhinged performance that none of the children were expecting. The song he sings, There's No Earthly Way of Knowing, are the only song lyrics taken directly from the book. All other songs were written specifically for the film. The producers chose to make the film in Munich, Germany, because it was much cheaper than shooting in the U.S. and had a storybook quality. 
Stewart liked the unfamiliarity of the locations because they couldn't be identified as any specific time or place. Most of the child actors had little to no film experience, including Peter Ostrom, a sixth grader from Cleveland who played Charlie Bucket. Ostrom went through puberty during his six weeks on set. This is evident by how high his voice is during the duet of I've Got a Golden Ticket and then much deeper during the bubble scene. After the film, Ostrom turned down a three-picture contract because he didn't want to make acting his profession and later became a veterinarian. Denise Nickerson, who played gum-chewing Violet Beauregard, was an experienced stage actress from New York when she was cast. Nickerson ended up with 13 cavities from all the bubblegum and candy she had on the film. Paris Timmon, a.k.a. Mike TV, was the youngest member of the cast. The 11-year-old was a bit of a troublemaker on set, according to co-star Gene Wilder, who accused him of releasing a swarm of bees on set and tying people's shoelaces together. In a Reddit AMA, Timmon denied these accusations, saying that Oompa Loompas were the actual pranksters. After the film, Timmon has held a variety of jobs, from being a Disney Imagineer to working as an extra in the bowling scenes for The Big Lebowski. The spoiled Veruca Salt was played by British actress Julie Down Cole. She was the only cast member to keep props from the movie after being instructed not to, including the golden ticket, an everlasting gobstopper, and a Willy Wonka candy wrapper. Her golden ticket is now on display in Sweet Pete's Candy Store in Jacksonville, Florida. And here's a bonus fact for you. A Veruca is a medical term for a wart. Michael Ballner, who played Augustus Gloop, lived in Munich where the film was shot, Willy Wonka was his first and last film. He became an accountant. In 1998, Ballner was reunited with his co-stars at Comic-Con and was shocked that people recognized him. He didn't know that the film had become a cult classic. His memories of his time on set centered on the Chocolate River, made from 150,000 gallons of water, real chocolate, and cream. The Chocolate River gradually spoiled under the studio lights over the course of filming. By the end, it was, in Ballner's words, a vat of dirty, stinky water. The Oompa Loompas were known for hard partying offset, even traveling in a limo together to bars. There were ten in all, nine men and one woman. The production searched circuses across Europe to find them. Only six spoke English, which is evident in scenes where the Oompa Loompas are singing, yet the actors don't seem to know the words. In 2005, Gene Wilder was asked about his thoughts on the film's remake, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He stated that he enjoyed Johnny Depp's performance as Willy Wonka, but disliked the film as a whole and was generally insulted when his films were remade. When Wilder died in 2016, Peter Ostrom changed his social media profile to former child actor, veterinarian, and inheritor of a chocolate factory. And one last fact, the photograph shown of the fraudulent golden ticket winner from Puraguay is actually that of Martin Bormann, a high-ranking Nazi officer and Adolf Hitler's secretary. for listening to Side Talks. We are your own personal cinematic Ric Flair and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hell yeah. I'm going to come out and I'm going to open a bunch of beers and pour the beers on myself and pour the beers on the audience people and I'm going to I give people a Stone Cold Stunner. Why not? And really, I should have said it like Ric Flair and Stone Cold Steve Austin! Anyway. Thanks to Batwell Studios. One one last quick pitch. I think we should do an entire episode in the um, in the language of the lighthouse. Are you up for it? Uh, y- yes. At Sidewalk Tentatively. Film. <laughs> at Sidewalk Film, SidewalkFest.com. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, thanks. Bye. 
Boutwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.